Good afternoon and welcome to Susan Harmon Experience. Uh, we are here on this auspicious occasion. Uh, it's a, I don't know about you, Eric, but uh, boy, the last four years have been exhausting. <laughs> They've just been exhausting. I and hear now, you. you know, now with Mercury retrograde going direct on election day, and uh, which is exciting, and Mars going direct 10 days later. Uh, you know, a lot of stuff is a lot of stuff is happening. And I just want to point out that tomorrow is a blue moon. I know there's more es esoteric astrologers that have a more elaborate system talking about that. But um, well, we I do have our fabulous resident astrologer, Cheryl Hopkins, joining us today. So she can, of yes, course, we do. comment on all that stuff. But uh, and Cheryl, I hope your cold is better. It's coming along. It's coming, <laughs> it's along. coming along. Yeah. Yes. 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 Um, well, it's good to be on. Uh, is it? Should I do my thing or? Yeah. Do I, 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 I should probably introduce uh, Graham. Yeah. Or just uh, probably. Just a, a, a momentary. John Graham uh, is our guest today, and we're going to get with John. Hey, John. Hey. How you doing? Doing great, and we're gonna we're gonna talk uh, we're gonna talk politics, um, but with an eye to uh, solutions, not just uh, complaining or tweeting out uh, hatred. We just uh, we don't need to do that. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. So no, but and and uh, yeah, Cheryl. That market has been cornered. <laughs> and we'll we continue have, to be cornered. Right. Yeah, yeah. There are some people that that's uh, that's the way I talk to my people. I tweet. Okay, uh, Cheryl, yeah. don't tweet. Just yes. give us the give no, us no, a, no, no, the, don't no tweet. tweet. You know, I never well, was interested in being on Twitter, and lately I've been like, well, maybe I should, but God. Well, you know what? I love Twitter. Love, 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 love. And I have not been on Twitter in eons intentionally because I, it, I get sucked into it. There is just so much engagement. It's so quick. And, and this is the reasons why I love it is why I'm just not like not on it. I, yeah. It's just, yeah. no, I, I got other stuff to do and whatever. Well, um, it's like Facebook. I, I, I I have I I go on there I do something about the show and I and I get off I and if you're not yes well, people will say well didn't you read my not no I don't I don't no. read it. if no. it's not right That's there right. when I when I come in to put the show on it it doesn't happen because I do the uh, same know, thing with Facebook if you've got 120 at least sites spewing misinformation on on Facebook and nothing is happening about uh, saying hey that's not true you can't just put that out there like it's true and and you get treated equally well there's this view and there's that view well there's a difference between an opinion and a fact yes absolutely absolutely so. there is and uh, very well said and you know i mean lots going on you talked about it being uh a blue moon and it's a blue hunter's moon. I was looking that up on the uh, album almanac.com. So um, at, on the first uh, we had, or um, 
the prior new moon was like a harvest and now we have the hunter's moon and interesting because the symbol that was used on the almanac page was the moon what's this the bow and arrow which of course is part Sad. of the symbol for Sagittarius, right mm -hmm. and so that speaks to the hunter's new moon um well good news we have yes, as you said so go direct We'll go direct uh, on the 3rd of November at roughly 1249 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Because, of course, don't forget that uh, the time changes this weekend. So it will go direct after the time change. And so that's good news for folks who have Scorpio Strong, who have some Taurus in their chart, right? Um, any kinds of glyphs or glitches, uh, miscues around communication and travel um, will be come to an end. And also, but this has been a very good time for going over, for revisiting, um, reconnecting with and finishing up loose ends around things that had been started but not completed in the area of any form of communication. So any kind of writing projects, any kind of like contract documents, agreements, a revisiting, that was what the time is always about with Mercury and retrograde. Um, I better get on the sticks then, schedule. hadn't I? Yeah. Well, you know, again, I'm this so is what the behind. time <laughs> is always about. And if you had planets in Scorpio and in Taurus, you were certainly affected by it. Also, if you had planets in Libra, that could very well have affected you. Um, so knowing that it's coming to an end means that now that you have, if you have done those activities, you're now positioned to really step forward to the next phase of expression or manifestation or completion around those activities that you've gone back and did some revisiting with. Um, similarly with Mars, Mars going direct on the four, uh, 14th of the month. Of course, this is after the election. But, you know, when you have the planet of, of communication, which is Mercury, and agreements, we must never forget agreements, right? And also, Mercury rules transitions, transitions from one state to the next. So on the doorway in your home or in your house, the lentil there, that's ruled by Mercury. Anything that allows you to pass from one state to the other, that space of transition is Mercury. And isn't that apropos for where we are right now and oh, with gosh, what we're yes. dealing with as a country? We have no idea what we'll be passing through. We have lots of hopes and wishes, depending on what side of the aisle you're on, they're going to be different, but they're no less potent nonetheless. And it seems to me that one of the things we're missing is the fact that we both have hopes and wishes, and we both all really want the same thing. We just have different visions on what that's supposed to look like. And part of that has been because of the indoctrination that we've all been under um, from media, from ideologies, political ideologies, uh, religious ideologies, et cetera, et cetera. All of it kind of coming to this um, point of like combustion, as it as it were. So Mars retrograde <laughs> has certainly been kind of like turning up the heat on that sense of combustion. Does that ha does that feel like right to you, Susan? I would oh, think yeah. so. Oh yeah, I feel like you know a frog in the in the uh, pot. You know, <laughs> just about to be about to be done to exactly, yeah. exactly. Right, right, right. So what, when when Mars goes direct. What, during its time of retrograde, which was from September, mid-September through, as I said, November 14, um, it was certainly a time of uh, re taking another look at strategy, 
re-looking at the things that have not been acted upon, uh, looking at the intentions, the impulses that have not been honored, um, and assessing, you know, does this serve me? Does it not? How could I act upon this? You know, how could I put myself forward? And when it goes direct, that's the time to really, there'll be more ease in being able to do those things and to take things to the next step. So we have, uh, for the month of November, it looks like we've got um, a lunar eclipse um, at the end of uh, the month uh, and the, the 30th, the last day of the month. And that, interestingly enough, will be sitting right next to the United States Uranus. So Uranus in, the, uh, in Gemini typically seems to correspond in history, historically, with movements for democracy, movements for equal justice, okay? So it's quite interesting to have the lunar eclipse on that point in our chart because um, many of us are feeling like we're not getting justice. We're feeling like we're not being heard, right? And so uh, lunar eclipse represents a culmination or a peak point. Um, also, lunar eclipse in Gemini would sit on, it's not it close to, but it's in the same sign and approaching the Gemini planets of the president the current office holder, okay? So lunar eclipse uh, impacting the um, uh, sun sign of a leader of a country or a country, okay, would indicate that there's, you're entering a period where the reputation goes down. And we certainly have been experiencing that because there've been a number of other indicators for that prior to, to this, right? But this mm -hmm. is just kind of like the latest. And then um, the other bit is that uh, I think you may recall in past um, programs when I've talked about the Jupiter-Pluto con um, conjunction in Capricorn, remember we've got, uh, back in January, we had that Saturn-Pluto um, aspect right. happening that a lot of folks were talking about that seemed to be very much connected, many astrologers and people thought to the outbreak of COVID. Okay, well, actually, that's not really true, but that's for another discussion. But right. what is true is that those two planets together have typified the um, breakup and the, the revolutionary um, transformational uh, disintegration of our norms, our institutions, our structures, and our forms. So when Jupiter joined uh, uh, December 21st of last year, he Jupiter brought in the vibration of okay, now it's time to take a leap of faith. Now it's time, you know, to move to move forward, right? Mm -hmm. So when Jupiter uh, conjoined with Pluto, it happened M March through April. March is really when COVID came into the collective consciousness right. nationally, right? And uh, then it came back in June and July, and who all knows what related madness happened back then. I can't remember because I'm so inundated with outrage. Okay. This continuous madness from day to day. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So November, they make the final connection. They hit, they come back together again. So, and, and it's always that way. It's always in threes where the planets will come together. One will retrograde and then they'll meet up again and retrograde status. And then the other, then they'll, the retrograde planet comes back and hits when it's direct. And it's almost like the first time is, hello, knocking on the door, <laughs> time to wake up, time to expand, time to go beyond the beliefs that have trapped you and, and kept you disabled from being unified. And then the second time, if you don't hear that message, 
it whatever occurs hits you harder. And then the third time is typically harder if you don't, you know, get Pay the attention. message. So if you're November is the though, time but for if that. you're listening to those those messages cues. as they come yes. in, the cues and you're like yes. okay. Okay, I need to pay attention here. I need to look at what's going on and what can I do myself to right. make things better for right. me personally and for the right. and the greater good of humanity. And so the last bit I'll say about that is that these three planets are very tightly uh, conjunct between 20 and 26 degrees, okay? And they are sitting uh, very close in approach to the natal placement of Pluto in the United States Declaration of Independence chart. And so all of the difficulties that we're having around our economy, our money, and, and our earnings, all of that fits with this where this aspect falls in the U.S. chart. It also opposes Mercury. The issues around schooling, young children, what we do with our kids now, education. Well, we've always had issues with education, but they've come really front and center as women are dropping out of the workforce in droves. And these two planets are creating a stressful aspect to the Chiron in the United States chart, which is an Aries in the fourth house and represents our inability, our difficulty with seeing the other as ourselves. So when we say, "I, what is America? What does America look like? We have difficulty seeing people who look foreign to us as part of America. And that's one uh, expression of what that means. And so this is a time where I think that Jupiter piece joining in is saying it's time to rise above this. And so the difficulty that we're experiencing that translates into our personal lives is just a reflection of the larger collective difficulty with that. And it's our struggle to get to a higher place. Yeah, and it'll be yeah. what it'll be until we 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 wake up and realize we need each other. This could be one of the messages for the the wildfires and the hurricanes and the extreme weather events. Because when once something like that hits a community, it doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank. Everybody's standing on the breadline. Everybody's standing on the line for water because nobody has any, and the right. money doesn't right. mean you know caca. Yeah, you can't so, drink. You can't drink your money, and you and you and you can't eat your money. Right. So November, you know, I mean, it's going to be uh, an exciting time. <laughs> I like the way an you exciting phrase things. Time. Yeah. <laughs> it's exciting for, well, get uh, your box of Kleenex and, <laughs> yes. yeah, and take care of yourself. <laughs> yes. Don't forget to hydrate. That's important. Yes. You know, yes. So, promise yeah. me you'll, promise so, me you'll you so care much. for you. <laughs> yes, I will All do right. so. I will do thank so. Thank you, Cheryl. I will always appreciate you. you. Nice to see you too. Absolutely. And I'll tune in because I want to hear the rest of the show okay, later. Cool. Okay, cool. Take care. All right. Bye. All right. Bye bye. Oh, that was great. Hi, John. John Graham is uh, joining us. I don't know if he's into astrology or not, but uh, that was still interesting what uh, all the things Cheryl had to say and, 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 and do it. And John is. Uh, He's, he's an interesting guy. Um, you know, he's done a lot of adventures throughout his life. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go into all of them, but, uh, you know, we could talk about hitchhiking around the world and, and, and running into revolutions. You seem to be, uh, drawn to, uh, let's say interesting events, <laughs> you know, and your life coincides with those. And I know that for, for many years, the, the Giraffe Heroes Project has been front and center for you. 
uh, looking at, and, and that's an obvious one, sticking your neck out, you know, <laughs> you know, for those that don't know, I, I kind of, I have that aspect myself. I'm, uh, you know, one of those people that, well, I'll just, I'll just get out there and do it, you know, <laughs> because somebody has to, right? So welcome, John. Thanks very much, Susan. I wish I knew more about astrology. I was listening to Cheryl and reminding myself that my level of knowledge of all of this doesn't extend much beyond fortune cookies, yeah. um, in which I believe a lot, by the way. It was some rather amazing things have happened in my life because of Never mind. Fortune cookies. No, no. I have to. I have to quickly insert. And Eric knows how how I have a tendency to wander off. But um, I always uh, go to the Chinese restaurant with my family, and I'll 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 look at the the fortune and just study it and go, help! I am being held prisoner in a Chinese fortune cookie factory. <laughs> they all like, oh God, there she goes again. So I did that one time at a restaurant, and the owner went. She came running out. Does it really say that? Does it really say that? <laughs> well, look, to get back to your original question. Um, yeah, you're right. It's uh, I'm lucky to be alive is, is, is one way to put it. Um, when I was 35, for example, I had counted 13, 15 times when I had come really close to a, a violent death and I walked away from it every time. Uh, I've been a mountain climber my whole life, um, and uh, you'll see my picture in a few books. Uh, I did the first uh, um, direct ascent of the North Wall on Mount McKinley, for example. Something so damn dangerous, no one's even tried it since 50 years, 55 years ago. Uh, wars, revolutions, uh, I've been shot at in four continents, um, and I keep walking away from it, which created a lot of lessons in my life. And one of them uh, was, well, what the heck am I still doing here? I know plenty of, we all know, plenty of young people have died uh, either because they took risks or they just died in a car accident or something. Here am I, I'm 78 years old now, having lived through all this stuff. And one thing it made me realize was that there must be a purpose in my life. I mean, I, I don't know, you could call it God, I don't, but you could. Uh, something out there is, is keeping me alive. And I meant to do something with this time. And that leads us to the Giraffe Heroes Project. I was in the Foreign Service for 15 years where most of those bullets were flying. I, I, uh, I wasn't in like a fancy embassy wearing striped pants in Paris. I was in uh, wars and revolutions and arms sales, year and a half in Vietnam during some of the worst violence there, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, you know, I'm looking at, what do I do now? Uh, once I had my comeuppance and finally began to realize that a life of adventure wasn't enough because I was being called, call, I'll use that word, I was being called to do something, but what was it? Well, after my career in the Foreign Service, and especially after Vietnam, when I came back with a big dose of PTSD, I, I would walk on the shadowy sides of the streets in Palo Alto, California, to avoid sniper fire, for example. It's tough. Anyway, I, I came to, I met a remarkable woman named Mad Medlock. Um, she's pretty well known in the Northwest. She'd founded something called the Giraffe Heroes Project, which is all about moving people to stick their necks out, to get people to get off their duffs and get out there and solve some public problem that needed solving. Nobody else was doing it. Um, she, her strategy was very simple. She would find people 
who are already sticking their necks out and then go interview them and then tell their stories. In the beginning, it was on little 45 RPM uh, uh, phonograph disc. And now, of course, it's websites and Twitter uh, and all the rest of it. But it's the same. 35 years ago, uh, she started this. And I joined her. Uh, I thought it was kind of funny because, man, I have degrees from Harvard and Stanford and I'm really cerebral, you know. So the idea of just telling stories to change the world, to make a better planet, didn't seem very realistic to me because I thought, since I have a good gift of gab, hell, hell, I'll just get out there and give some speeches and workshops and write books and everyone will say, what a brilliant guy, John Gray. <laughs> well, that didn't happen. <laughs> I know. Is it, doesn't it just get really annoying when they don't realize how smart you are? <laughs> encouraging, Susan. I'm sure you know. Anyway, um, so uh, I, I began to look, look at what Anne was doing, telling stories and realizing the important, incredible power of storytelling. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's why it's been traditional in so many cultures, because it really is effective. I mean, you look at the Bible, it's the parables, the stories that are told that people listen to. That's absolutely right. And we kind of sometimes refer to the giraffe project as the troubadour for our times, because, you know, one of my favorite examples is the story of Parsifal, this, this young incompetent kid that saves the whole kingdom by being brave and going out there and slaying the dragons and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, it's, it's like um, Anne had nailed it, telling stories of heroes. Now, right now, you might expect we've... Uh, we wanted about 1,500 people uh, in, in 60 countries over uh, 35 years. And right now, of course, we're focusing on this pandemic, which has produced a whole lot of heroes. Uh, two that are, we, we, we just put up in the last couple of weeks. Where one was a, a nurse in Ohio back last March, when you, as you pointed out, the, 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 the pandemic was just beginning to spread. She heard about how rough it was in New York City. So this uh, nurse in Ohio on her own dime goes to New York City and just offers to help in the hospitals there, despite the risks. Um, and then um, right here in Seattle, um, there was um, a University of Washington epidemiologist who blew the whistle in February saying, hey, wait a minute, this isn't the flu. It is the something, something's really wrong here. And we gotta get, we gotta, quarantine these people and we got to do contact tracing and she was ignored for three weeks which is why there was that big bump in cases in washington state way back in february march right he was finally listened to but she damn near risked her job and she people called her a fool and an alarmist well these are giraffe giraffe heroes we call them and now there's 1500 of them we tell their stories and the uh, strategy is, is really simple susan and uh, we when we when as you know from what you just said when you hear or see someone taking a risk, you know, um, it inspires you. you go, right. Wait a minute, I'm sitting here doing my tweets. I'm watching the television. I'm or I'm just doing nothing. And here's a story. Here's this woman who risked her life to, to, to help people during this uh, 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 pandemic. Or here's this guy in Kenya, for example, who's risked his life uh, to try to stem tribal violence. Or here's this woman in Pakistan where, where rape and harassment are so common and, and she is taking on the power structures and forcing the Pakistan, Pakistan courts to treat women fairly and to, to institute better policies uh, for, uh, against the harassment of women. 
1,500 of these stories and people hear these stories and they say, I can do something too. And they do. We get tons of anecdotal evidence that these stories, as they have, as you pointed out, as they have for thousands of years, these stories are really inspiring. So that's what we're do. That's what we do. And, um, and, and, you know, that's what we will keep doing. And it, it has brought the, the meaning to my life that I just didn't have when I was could call myself nothing but an adventurer because I was doing those adventures mostly for me. I love taking risks. I still love taking risks. <laughs> my wife, wife Anne, by the way, Anne Medlock, the founder of the Giraffe Project, we fell in love the first uh, time. I, I had a feeling there was, a, you know, we women, we find uh, we find the men and we say, hey, baby, you know, come and, <laughs> come and join me. Oh, this she is fun. Got, she got me. She got me. And it's like, it's like uh, um, it's, yeah, so uh, we, uh, I, my, 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 uh, my lack of faith in storytelling just melted away. But when we fell in love, all of a sudden she was doing was everything she was doing was perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Funny how that works. <laughs> getting broke fast, Susan. Yeah. We, were, we were so broke, we'd have to walk across Central Park because we didn't have enough for a bus token yeah but you were able to walk across central park see yeah. a lot of times people forget the basics we didn't have money for but we walked across central but we walked together holding hands talking and seeing the, what the world looked like around us yes that's true that's you true know? so there's some real advantage sometimes to uh simplifying things you know well there's nothing in many ways, more simple than than finding meaning for your life and then going forward, trying to implement it with the years you've got. Um, it's not hard. It's not easy to find that meaning, in my opinion, my experience, because there's so many competing interests, uh, money and power being two of the most important. Well, I want to spend my time making money. I want to spend my time being powerful. Uh, but if you but if you go past that and recognize what real power is. Real power is knowing you have no power, that you're here for a reason. I truly believe everybody has a reason to be here. And if you discover your reason for being, everything else falls into place. I mean, the money doesn't, really, how much money do any of us need to begin with? We, you know, I mean, seriously, how much do you need? You don't really need billions of dollars. You cannot possibly spend it in your lifetime. Well, of course, there are some people like the president of the United States who can lose it all because he's a lousy businessman. But that's a that's another point. Um, I know we've got to take a short break here in a minute, but I I wanted to talk to you about some politics too because. Uh, Today is uh, the 30th, which means we're just a few days away from our election. And I personally think, uh, being of an age, that um, this is the most important election in my lifetime. And I would say that you would might be thinking the same kind of thing, that this is, I mean, we have a choice between... A, fa a, f a failing democracy and a burgeoning fascist state. Yes, I I, uh, I got into some. Uh, I caused a real ruckus. Anna and I. <laughs> oh, you cause a ruckus. 
<laughs> well, are you, who are you talking? You cause ruckuses all the time with your show. Come on. Ian um, and I got together and we spent a lot of time doing it because we knew it had to be careful. And we did a, um, a uh, essay which went pretty much viral. And it was basically saying we are becoming a fascist state. And we yeah. drew the parallels between Hitler in uh, 1932, 33, 34, and what's been happening with the Trump administration. Whoa, a whole lot of people says yes, right on. And then a whole lot of those people that crawled off from under rocks, threatened to kill me, shoot us, whatever. Um, well, there's a there's a non-fascist response to a disagreement. <laughs> so clear. The parallels are so clear. I know. I, I know. People don't understand that in 1932-33, Hitler was a popular political figure. A popular, That's right. A whole lot of people voted for him. He didn't. He didn't take control by threat. Absolutely he, not. He was voted into office. Yes. Said, "I'll cure all your problems. I'll get you a job. I'll send your." Kids. I'll do all this, and I didn't do any of that. We're gonna. We're gonna take a short break, and uh, when we come back, I. I want to. I want to do. And I'm not a numbers person, generally speaking, but. Numbers are good sometimes. I want to talk about how five out of 45 presidents have come into office without getting the most votes nationwide mm -hmm. and why that's important. You know, 35 states have not received any visits. 35 out of 50 states have not received any visits in the 2020 general election presidential campaign. That is un unacceptable. It is unacceptable that all citizens in this country are not equal and don't count. Uh, a thousand to one weight of a Florida voter in 2000 election versus the votes voters in the other 49 states. A one vo vote is worth a thousand votes in other states that one state gets. And that that's wrong. Uh, that is not uh, the American way, theoretically. But I don't see Trump as the cause. I see him as the result of a lot of slippery slopes along the way. So we're going to take a, a momentary break, and I'm going to come back with John Graham, and we're going to talk about what can, what can I do as a person when everything seems so overwhelming to, to me to make friends with people I disagree with and to, and to create a more positive way of living our lives. Um, very hard questions to answer, but we'll, we'll, we'll make a stab at it, so to speak. And uh, stay tuned to Susan Harmon Experience. John Graham and I will come back with more in just a few minutes. You're invited to returning to the one and all cultural retreat stemming from the single thread that traveled the four directions and now unifies. Through energy work with fire, water, earth and air, both individually and in group, the five participants will evolve. Reserve space for early bird discounts because space is truly limited to five participants. This retreat takes place in sunny Arizona during January for a four-day in-resort setting with private pool. Email Susan at SusanHarmon.com for more information. That's Susan at SusanHarmon.com. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed Matt Shea, who chronicles the haunted history of the PNW. He's on hand Halloween Eve with great ghost stories. On Saturday, we are hosting a virtual Halloween party, so put on your costume and dancing shoes as we play DJs for a day. Bringing you fascinating talk one hour at a time since 2007. 
We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk, AM 1150. Make us part of your daily routine. Alternative Talk, 1150. Welcome back to Susan Harmon, who has voted and turned her ballot in already. Uh, And I, uh, come on, guys, get out there. If you haven't voted, if you have strong beliefs and you don't vote, if you care about what happens and you don't vote, it doesn't make any difference. The only thing a citizen in any country has to express their view on what they want for their country is to vote. That's why elections are so important because you can talk all day long, but your talking will get nowhere unless there's action behind it, which is another reason you have the giraffe, the giraffe project. You've got to put actions with your words. So John Graham hit it, babe. (laughs) Well, you know, certainly I, uh, and you're absolutely right. Of course, about voting. And uh, I would caution um, your listeners that at this point, what is it, we're Friday, uh, I wouldn't even put your ballot in the mail. I'd go to a Dropbox uh, just to make sure. Right. Uh, I took mine to the to the city hall and dropped my, my ballot uh, off. Or show up in person if you're, no, we can't do that in this state. Okay. But in a lot of other states where they have a choice, uh, either show up in person or, or put it in a, in a, in a Dropbox because it's absolutely crucial. Um, and you and, said something. You said something that was important because Washington State, Colorado, uh, Oregon, and what's the fourth one? I can't remember. Uh, they've been doing this for years. Uh, vote by mail, and we haven't had any corruption on the terms of the vote in all that time. Why? So your vote is safe. It's horsebucky to think uh, that Trump's claim that that uh, voting by mail is a corrupt process. It's ridiculous, but he'll do anything, and. Uh, and, and one reason votes are so important, and by the way, I'm doing a, a video blog tonight at five o'clock on Facebook. Um, okay, say that again so that people will make sure they get it and they can tune in. I'm doing a video blog on the election at five o'clock, 5 p.m. tonight, but you can watch it. It'll be archived. You can watch it anytime. I just going right. to be live at five o'clock on Facebook. Um so, yeah, and I'll be looking at, um, at what's going on. And one reason that's really important to vote is that it may be necessary that Biden gets uh, overwhelming vote, maybe even a, of landslide proportions in order to prevent some of the corrupt attempts, uh, attempts to, to corrupt the results. Right, and right. Because you, when it's a very narrow margin, it's very easy to corrupt. Well, uh, but a wide margin is very difficult to corrupt. Yeah, I mean, if if the margin is is like five or six or seven thousand votes, then there's recounts and stuff, and it's easy. Um, but if the margin is a hundred thousand in Pennsylvania, for example, um, it's going to be really hard for uh, e- even the worst uh, and most corrupt judges to overturn the result. Um, so the the that's why votes are so important. Um, and even out here in Washington State, where excuse me, but that gun it as you pointed out earlier, and our personal you and I were talking that uh, when you live in a place like this, I mean, you're not a swing state, you know. Everybody. Well, knows. they 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 call it before you've even voted before they the polls have closed. And not only that, but the outcome in Washington State or certainly California or in Oregon or is, is not in doubt. Uh, but we need to run up the totals. I mean, if Trump loses the popular vote by uh, 8 million, for example, it will be almost impossible for him to gain control of the Electoral College. 
Do you think oh. that could happen? Yeah, it could happen. He's now uh, the uh, the current. Um, by the way, uh, this is a, uh, in terms of looking at what happens on Tuesday with the vote. I caution people. I'm not the only one uh, to look at the of polls with a real grain of salt. I mean, looking back right. to 2016, the most, I think the best way, the way I do it is, uh, is um, look at those outfits like uh, 538 and are a couple of others that set the odds. They use professional odds makers to take uh, hundreds of polls, weight them according to the, the, the historical accuracy of each poll, et cetera, and a few other things and then come up with a percentage. And as of this morning, I just checked, as of this morning, uh, the smart money, uh, just like in Las Vegas, the smart money was saying Trump's odds are at 10%. 10% meaning what? 10%, uh, he has a 10% chance of becoming president, 10%. Out of, out of 100? Out of 100, yeah. Which means 90% chance. That Biden will win. But what I want to, what I'm cautioning people is you need to think like a Las Vegas odds maker thinks. One in ten is not nothing. Now in right, 2016, right. in 2016, the odds makers put Trump's chances at 25 to 30 percent. And so people said, ah, oh, 25 percent. He'll never. Well, that's not what happened, as we all know. No. So even at, at one in ten, I mean, it's like a, one of the examples I use um is, uh, and I will use tonight, is uh, baseball, like the World Series. If you have a baseball hitter batting 100, batting 100 but that's pretty poor in professional baseball, and it doesn't exactly strike terror into the hearts of any pitcher, a, batting, a batter with a batting average of 100. But what that does mean is that one time in 10, that guy gets a hit, and that hit might happen in the last inning, in the last out of the World Series. And right. Right. Well, be careful in, in, in looking at the odds and also be mindful that on Tuesday is a very good chance, even with honest officials and everything, there's a very good chance, especially if the weather is bad on the East Coast, there's a very good chance that we won't know the result for sure on Tuesday night. Right. Pennsylvania right. says it may take them two or three days to count, Pennsylvania being perhaps the most important swing state out there. So, Arizona is supposed to be pretty, you know, pretty swings. I'm, since I'm in Arizona, I just yeah. had to bring that up. <laughs> but it's much smaller. Yeah, yeah. So, but if the vote is, uh, if, if the vote is, is not five, six, seven percent difference, but the vote is like 50 to 100,000 difference, then it gets really hard, even for corrupt politicians and legislatures to, to um, do anything result in a meaningful way. Uh, so, so everybody gets out of votes. Well, the national popular vote bill, I know that 16 states have enacted that. And that is represents 196 electoral uh, votes in those 16 states. Hmm. And I think that they need 74 is the number of electoral votes needed to bring the national popular vote into effect. And I, I, I would really... I wish people had gotten more, people like me who follow politics know about this, but I would say Joe Average Citizen doesn't know what, anything about this, about this movement, about this bill, about the national popular vote, uh, getting that, that to change. Because the president of the United States is supposed to represent all the people. 
uh, my my state, uh, you know, my House of Representative represents this little district I live in. The senator represents the state I live in. Do you know what I mean? But the president represents all of the country, uh, theoretically. Yeah. Well, and I think that's one of the first things, well, he's already said it on the campaign trail, but certainly in his inaugural address, I'm sure President Biden will remake this point again, that he's president of all of us. All the people. Now, in his, we're, we were talking about uh, risk and courage before, and, um, you know, this is where it, it, it where some, there needs to be some real courage, because this is a badly shattered country i mean for four years we've been spitting at each other and the trump has made i'm exhausted and we have to we as biden keeps pointing out we have to come together we're never all going to be friends there's always no. wrong political opponents i mean my uncle charlie well, he's dead now but <laughs> vote differently than i do and every family has got divisions and that's fine that's democratic right, there's still family it's still family and Right. Uh, it's like uh, we're we've come to the point now where, of course, a whole lot of uh, uh, right wingers um, think the Democrats are socialists and more than a few on the uh, left <laughs> view the right as what Hillary uh, notably says, a bunch basket of deplorables. Which deplorables. I wouldn't go that far. I, you know, in my neighborhood, I have a, 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 a Biden Harris sign out. Uh, next door, on either side of me are Trump signs. Across the street is a Trump sign. On the corner is a Trump sign, you know. But there's a when I put my signs out, all of a sudden there were a few more Biden-Harris signs popped up, okay? Um, my neighbors across the street are really nice people. I really like them. We don't agree on politics. Uh, I, I feel that they're brainwashed. Do you know what I mean? They told me that, you know, I'm on government insurance. I said, we don't have government insurance unless you're on Medicare, which isn't government insurance anyway. You know, oh, yes, we're on Obamacare. I said, that's not government insurance. You're still using private insurance companies. They really believe the propaganda that, they, that they've been spoon fed. They're, they've been nice to me. They've done things for me. They're not deplorable. They're really good people. And uh, I'm not gonna call them uh, names because I like them. Uh, my next door, ex next door neighbor, very unkind, nasty, horrible person. You know, it's really hard for me to be nice to somebody who's mean to me. <laughs> But I'm trying to be at least nice. I met a woman on an airplane who is right, right wing. She and I started talking. We liked each other. I ended up having her on the show and we had different views, but we were respectful to each other. We were, we were spoke nicely to one another. You know, we, we had, we had a good conversation with different viewpoints. And I think we can do that again. Well, yes, I'm sure we, well, we have to, we don't have any choice. But I also think that one of the things that I've learned, and I've actually written a book on it um, called um, uh, Stick Your Neck Out. Uh, it's like, you have to start small. You have to start locally. With the neighbor. <laughs> I was part of, this is, I'll just, this is a short story. It won't take that long, but I was a leader of an environmental group out here on Whidbey Island, Washington. And uh, it was badly uh, polarized. 
you had the loggers and the, and the farmers on one end, and they all voted Republican. They all were really uh, steeped in property rights rhetoric. I mean, don't dare take an inch of my land. And you environmentalists were uh, namby-pamby, overeducated wusses, etc. cetera. Uh, the other half of the population here are environmentalists. Whitby Island is, uh, is a pretty green place. So there's a lot of people that uh, that really care a lot about uh, about the environment and uh, and there's the military there too and so. there's the military which are, are, are to the right as well any case the Washington state passed something called the growth management act in the early 90s which mandated that uh, county rural counties like island county uh, set up a series of policies in which growth would be channeled to already existing growth areas and green sort green places would stay green and lots of things would happen to ensure clean air and water, et cetera, et cetera. There are a number of things. And a battle began uh, between the environmentalists on one side and the, the, the re real estate developers, the farmers and the foresters on the other. Now, traditionally, of course, it, it almost comes to blows. I, I, we've seen it happen in a number of places. But I got together I, I, with the with uh, those that wanted change. Mostly they were, we were environmentalists, environmentally driven. And I got down and said, look, we, if we just beat these guys in the court, because we're smart and we have a lot of experience in, in, in the courts and stuff, and we force the uh, right-wingers here to obey the Growth Management Act, we'll probably win a good deal in the courts but as soon as our back is turned, they're going to come right back and stab us in the back because we haven't done anything, really. All we've done is force them to comply with a law that they never agreed with. We have to change the governance. We have to change the way people think. We have to look at where, the, where there's a possibility mm -hmm. of a middle ground. A lot of the lefties, people to my left, didn't agree with this. So most of my challenge was in dealing with my own left wing. <laughs> no, really, no, no, I know. No, no, no. You're absolutely right. I ran for Seattle City Council. I went to the Republicans in Seattle, who very small group, and you know, and, and they treated me like a queen. They fed me. They were kind. They were thoughtful. I went to see some of my peace friends right after that. They were so busy fighting with each other, they I couldn't even get in to talk to them. So yeah, I know what you mean. Well, no, I mean, I, I recognized from the beginning that we had to establish enough trust with our opponents so that we could put in place policies and laws that protected the environment and didn't totally screw the other side. There had to be a way in which we could come together. And so I forced my side to spend time talking we spent a lot of time sitting on hay bales and tractor fenders, for example. And I said, just shut up and listen to these people. One of the things we listened was about farm economics, for example. We didn't understand that when you force a farmer to put a fence um, uh, further back from uh, a wetland, that he automatically loses oh, an acre or two of ground because you can't he can't use it for his cattle anymore. And that two acres of ground was worth so much money that it affected his collateral at the bank. And that collateral in the bank affected whether his kids went to college and whether he could buy enough seeds and fertilizer. So it was like an existential thing for this farmer. But the environmentalists, too many of them didn't understand that. They wanted to protect every last rabbit in Island County. 
Uh, and we had to come together, the left wing and the right wing. Finally, after three years of battle, we came down to um, the, the some of the final negotiations. And to my great delight, the person that made uh, a very strong pro-environmental statement that led to a, an important compromise was a farmer. And the person that, uh, that, uh, that argued about farm economics and, and not destroying the livelihoods of all these people that worked on farms and cut down trees was an environmentalist. So we had succeeded in these three years in, in learning to understand each other. Now, they still voted Republican, we still voted Democrat, but we had come together. And that was 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And the proof was in the pudding. The Island counties. Growth Management Act, its comprehensive plan has stood the test of time. There's been no serious challenges to it. Why? Because when we finally signed off on the thing, both sides, we didn't do it under pressure from a court. We did it because we both realized it was the right thing to do. It served all of our interests. And it hasn't been seriously challenged because we more or less hit that perfect sweet spot. Yeah, I think that's I think that's extremely important. And and frankly, our constitution was all about compromise. I mean, there were a lot of things we, we look at it, even the amendments that we have, they were about compromise, you know, give a little, get a little kind of thing. Well, yeah, absolutely. Now, now that's not saying that, I, Susan, in, in, and I'm sure you agree that sometimes you you can't compromise on absolutely everything. Well, there's no, no. There's some things that there that are hard line when you're when you're when you're when you're dealing with people that out and out lie. Yeah. You when you know it's a provable lie. I mean, th this is part of the problem with the internet right now. I mean, well, I'm always saying, yeah, it's, it was on the internet, so it must be true. I mean, you know, it, it's like you've got uh, like 120 some odd sites that are just pumping out misinformation right and left. I, and people are con people actually are confused. They, they really are confused. So. One of the most important thing we can do is uncorrupt the media. I mean, it's uh, and I don't put all the blame on the right. I mean, I, no, I don't even stuff on. Oh, how shall I say it? Outfits like oh, I won't name anybody, but there are some uh, left-wing uh, media outfits that uh, that stretch the truth or exaggerate the facts or are um, unnecessarily unkind <laughs> to a person. Right, right. But, name calling is not really useful. Yeah. So I, I, you know, in terms of, uh, uh, again, of, of, of just getting the people where they sit, getting the people's laps, getting, uh, doing this at the local level is so important, just like our success in Little Old Island County, what we have, we have 85,000 people or something like that live here. Uh, and, and we are a, a way shower. Other counties in Washington State followed our example and in and, and, and ratcheting it in even closer when it comes to uh, national politics um, one of my um, best um, interlocutors if that's the right word is my niece who's a, a Republican and votes for Trump largely because of the abortion issue but you know she's she and her husband are set pretty to the right. And in 2016, uh, I, uh, um, I, I was talking to her about what had happened. And um, she said, um, you know, we just get so fed up because you, Hillary called us the basket of deplorables and, uh, 
and she uh, they refer to us as flyover country. And none of you, or very few of you politicians on the left understood the economic circumstances that were ruining all kinds of uh, rural families, especially rural families in um, West Virginia, Tennessee, Kentucky, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, um, you know, she was absolutely right. Uh, globalization had taken an enormous toll uh, on a whole lot of people that used to, 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 to work in factories and in industry. However, I came back at her because she was so much on that. And I said, no, look, you know, I won't give her a name, but let's call her Mary. I said, look, Mary, uh, yeah, I get that. And a whole lot of Democrats didn't get that. And certainly Hillary Clinton didn't get that. And that's why she lost the one reason she lost the election. Um, but at the other hand, um, quite frankly, uh, what um, what's happening now is a whole lot of people who are just plain racist bigots are coming out from under rocks. Right. They've been given permission to do that. So, no, I don't agree that that the reason Trump won was entirely because his good hearted defense of of uh, yeoman workers displaced by globalization. That, that was a factor. But so was racism. So was ignorance. Right. Right. And, and it was a combination of all of these things that we've got to fix. And we've had a number of good conversations in the last four years. I totally, I totally agree with you. We are running out of time. Uh, we're almost uh, to the end of the show. It goes really fast, doesn't it? Oh, uh, I would like to know if you have one or, you know, one, well, like a one minute wrap up of uh, what you think is the most important thing for people to garner from what we've talked about today. Well, yes, I certainly, I certainly do, and and, and uh, a lot of that has to do with courage. We have to have the courage to do the hard thing, and to talk to our family members and talk to members of our community, and be and open. listen and, and listen, listen to them and listen to what they're saying. We don't have to agree with it, but we have to listen. We have to commit ourselves to knitting this country back together. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and that's what a lot of us and I, and and to his credit, um, Joe Biden is promising that we must do. But that takes guts. And uh, the Giraffe Project, I think, and other organizations like ours are, are doing an important work. And, and if I may, Susan, um, um, my own blog is JohnGraham.org, and there's lots perfect. Of on there. JohnGraham.org. Yeah. I appreciate uh, you spending this time with me today. We didn't quite do it the way we fully intended, but I think it's good. I think what we've done, I think the most important thing is caring about what other people think. And if you would do what I do every day after the show, that is, my friends, to keep on dancing. <laughs> keep on dancing. I'm with that, too.